On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll get you caught up on all that's happened over the last few weeks, discuss what has been special about this Pacers group, Tyrese Halliburton leading the way, considerations at the trade deadline, and much more. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you had a great Christmas, happy holidays, and are feeling good and strong and hopefully healthy as we enter this new year, 2023 already. My 11th season on the beat Started back in 2012, <laughs> just kind of crazy as the years continue to pile up. And you see, I see the changeover on the rosters, different coaching staffs, different way in which the game is played, and a lot more. And as we sit here, it's January 5th. It's an off day for the Pacers. How about this? Rick Carlisle giving the team not one but two days off this week. They didn't practice on Tuesday. After their win over Toronto, did not practice again on Thursday after their very tough loss Wednesday night against the Philadelphia 76ers on the road and with Joel Embiid not playing. I'll get into that just a little bit. I actually was, we'll get there right now actually, because I was sitting here waiting to record this podcast Thursday night waiting on the NBA's last two minute report. I saw so many different people, including Carlisle, talk about, hey, that Last two-minute report's going to be interesting. Uh, I think the number one thing so many fans were frustrated by was 10 seconds left in overtime. Matherin's hard take to the basket. He falls down. Harden blocks him, but does he get him with that left forearm? Honestly, in real time, I did not think so either, and the officials agree. Not a foul. That was a correct non-call, according to the NBA's last two-minute report. The only thing that had me hesitate a little bit and reconsider was that Matherin's a tough guy. He's a physical guy. He takes on a lot of contact to see him go down like that. Yes, he was off balance, moving left to right, going against some contact, and uh, knowing he was going to be contested by James Harden, something he had to be careful of. But he went down kind of hard just in terms of that layup. So it made me wonder, maybe he did feel a push that maybe just wasn't clear or particularly evident on the multiple replays that I looked at. Nonetheless, even despite that loss, and that one hurts, Kevin Bowen brought this up to me on my morning hit this morning on 107.5 The Fan. How about the conversation piece here that you know fans are not reaching out saying, perfect, that game worked out very nicely, it was entertaining, it was fun, and it was a close loss. I didn't get any of that. And that's just, I, I think, a change from the fans' perspective here from where we were in November when people were all about the losses. I won't go as far as tanking, but just the team having a bigger vision in mind, and that's something I definitely need to hit on here on this podcast. But the Pacers right now 21-18. and 18. That's good for 7th in the Eastern Conference. They were just 6th here as of January 5th, 13-7 and seven at home. They had won five of their last six, four in a row at home until – coughing up that one against Philly in overtime really should be winners of five in a row. But I guess when you consider the perspective, they probably won a game or two that they shouldn't. The first one that jumps out is Nimhard's game winner against the Lakers. Lakers would say, hey, that's one we coughed up. So they do, generally speaking, balance out. But 
because that one is a top of mind. That one's so difficult, I think, for this Pacers group to swallow. It wasn't even a good game by them. I think there were a lot of things that were challenged. I thought it was interesting after the game when Buddy Heald talking about their mental focus and how it wasn't there and they need to be locked in more during the game, but especially late in game situations. They had two turnovers over the final 40 seconds. Nimhard, then Halliburton. Uh, Nimhard's much worse, though. It was right at midcourt. It was trying to hand it off, and it resulted in a layup. Halliburton's was at least at the other end and while trying to attack. But nonetheless, those are your guards, and they turned it over in crunch time like that, something we just very rarely see or have seen from this group because they've been much improved in clutch time, which is the final five minutes in a game five points or less here over the last two weeks or so. That's some something and, and a factor where they've very much improved upon that here in recent weeks. Now, I still believe the Eastern Conference still a two-team race with Boston and Milwaukee. You do have Brooklyn and Cleveland right on their heels and winning and making things interesting. I just also have a very hard time believing in Brooklyn and believing in Philly as well. Just too much personality, too much chaos amongst those teams with with Brooklyn, you never know what you're going to get from Kyrie. Now, to his credit, he's done very well over the last 15 games or so. But big picture, when it matters most, in the playoffs, with more speculation, drama, game seven, or seven-game series, I should say, I don't know. I need to see it before I believe it with those teams. And then everybody else, in terms of contending and reaching the NBA Finals in the East, I don't think really matters. They're not contending there. And Pacers are certainly a part of that bunch. They're winning they're fun to watch. They're having a, a joyful time playing. But no, they are not a contending team. Um, right now, they are a playoff team. Will that continue? I'll be curious to see if they can keep it up and also what the team looks like in a month after the trade deadline. But it's definitely been a surprising start. The Vegas, I think the lowest I saw the over-under that was realistic maybe was 23.5. Certainly was it 24.5. And, and look, we're not even to the midway point of the season and they're just about there. 21 wins already. That's a, a credit to Rick Carlisle and his staff. It's a credit to Tyrese Halliburton and the the entire roster, especially the core group of about 10 guys as Carlisle's kind of settled into a, a 10-man rotation that he really likes right now. Last two games, you've had seven players in double figures, so that really speaks to, I think, what the Pacers want and are creating here, where it could be one guy on a, on a certain night, but more than anything, it's the collective group. It's Matherin in the second quarter. It's Nimhard in the first quarter. It's Halliburton to close the game. It's Buddy Heald throughout the game, knocking in threes. And by the way, Buddy's been on a tear lately. I mean, just imagine if you're the Lakers seeing what he's done. Leads the league in three-pointers made in total. Now, Steph Curry's you know sitting out due to injury, but that's another reason why. But Buddy's made four three-pointers for seven straight games. That's consistency, and that's a level of consistency and great three-point shooting that all teams want, but especially under Rick Carlisle, because one, that's one big change we've seen with him as the head coach of the last couple of years, a big shift from launching three-pointers and, and really wanting to take advantage of the fast break and threes rather than slowing it down. They're playing more five out, and the other big thing I should probably get into here is the change in lineups is one big thing that has changed here is we're seeing Jalen Smith no longer a starter, a role that was promised to him in the offseason. That's one reason, a key reason he re-signed with the Pacers was knowing, hey, while he's been a five for most of his career, he's going to learn to play the four. He's going to try to play the four, play alongside Miles Turner. 
Um, and I also don't think it's a coincidence that you remove him as the four. Miles Turner is the only center on the floor, and Miles is having one of the best seasons of his career. But with Jalen coming off the bench, he's backing up Miles. First of all, that's impacting the starting lineup because in that lineup is Aaron Neesmith, who's done a very nice job. He's just a third-year player like Halliburton, like Jalen Smith, and really showing his two-way contributions. He can score, but more than anything, he's leaned on for the hustle plays and his defense. It's him and Nemhart always checking the best two players on the other team. Now, also with the lineup change, it means Smith again, yeah, backing up Turner, but it's meant Isaiah Jackson's out of the lineup, and it means Goga's out of the rotation. It means Terry Taylor's. Thanks, Siri. <laughs> Terry Taylor's out of the rotation as well. So many trickle down effects with just that one decision. And I don't I think more than anything, that decision was made because of what those guards, what Neesmith and Nemhart are doing, rather than say what Smith or what Jackson is not doing. Yes, those two could pick up their play a little bit, but the two guards as defenders have basically gone small. And it was funny, yeah, to hear some of the coaches come in and joke here, like Ty Lu here recently over the weekend saying, Yeah, the Pacers are basically playing eight guards and they're shuffling through them, and whoever has the better night is getting more playing time. And that's what this Pacers team has ultimately become here. Um, I thought this was an interesting note this week, and I think this is a perfect example as well of what the Pacers are evolving into, what they want to become about. And first of all, that's the team. The connectedness uh, is outstanding. Um, how much they love playing for one another and with each other is absolutely noteworthy as the front office is rebuilding this roster thought it was noteworthy talking about Neesmith is how the other day he was saying how he's having the most fun playing basketball in recent history than he can remember so I followed up asked Miles the same thing he's been here his entire career since he was drafted with the Pacers first round pick in 2015 and he agreed it's the same thing for him as well he's having a lot of fun and you can understand that the wins are there he has the best point guard he's ever played with, the first true point guard I believe that he's ever played with, and his numbers are there. Uh, there's a joyfulness, again, like I've said to this team, a right balance of young guys with some veterans, and it's just worked out better than anyone could have imagined. But to my previous point is the fact that this week the NBA announced some of their awards for the past month, right? Players of the week, players of the month, though, is what they did, and this was for December. You had Halliburton and Heald, both were nominees. And the week before this, Miles Turner was joined those two and were all three nominees for Player of the Week for last week. I thought that's incredible. Three guys in the fold there. It's not one, not even two. On top of that, Ben Matherin, Andrew Nimhard, both nominees for Rookie of the Month. Of course, Matherin won that award for the first month of the season. And then even Rick getting some shine. Rick Carlisle a nominee for Coach of the Month, and something I'll repeat because he's reiterated it to us in the media, those few reporters that are there each day, and he's saying, hey, it's together. Um, you know, Each of these awards is a reflection of what all of us are doing. That's empowered them to have the team's success. It's not just one person. And definitely would agree with that. How about this? It took Pacers, I think it was 18 games, to get their first home sellout of the season, which we finally saw. It was against the Cavs back on December 30th. Those holiday games mean a lot to, I think, Indy fans, Pacer fans, and are great and easier games for the teams to sell out as well. Kids are on winter break. You have maybe family or Pacer fans that are 
in out of town. They're visiting back for the holidays, and so maybe they're able to get to the Fieldhouse for a game or two. So credit that crowd, and now we know the official attendance number as well for the Pacers when it uh, after three years of renovations, I've been asking, I've been asking, and haven't got a clear indication. Well, I finally got it. 17,274. That's down about 1,000 from where it was pre-renovations. But one, it's good to have that note. And two, it's just a very different way we consume sports anymore. I mean, they've opened up the Kroger Skydeck at the top. People are literally buying tickets to go stand or hang around the bar, have some drinks, and casually watch the game from super high up where it's very difficult to see, and you're probably watching more of it on the video board, but maybe you're entertaining, or maybe that's your cheaper alternative to going to games. It's just very different. I think teams, and this isn't just the Pacers, are trying to strike that right balance between the entertainment factor from your diehard fans and also your business aspect. I think that's one thing that the renovations have made clear is that lower bowl, and especially those first 10 rows, very heavy in the premium seating for businesses. I think it's a quiet bunch. It's a group that's more focused on drinks and hanging out versus cheering, supporting, yelling, making noise, being the diehard fan. But that's just how it is. It's not a negative or positive. It's just the current reality. Have you noticed, by the way, how the team is doing something special before each game, something different, something notable? They're revving it up is what they're calling it. And by the way, that's the team's slogan, I guess, for marketing purposes this season. They have a makeshift fake IndyCar down in the northwest corner, and then they have someone of note sit in that IndyCar and pretend to rev it up while the sounds of an IndyCar are blast throughout Gainbridge Fieldhouse. It's been you know, all kinds of people from former Pacers to current Fever players to spotlight individuals in the community. Curious just if you've noticed, do you like about it? I haven't gotten any feedback really at all from fans, so maybe they're not seeing it or not paying attention or it's really not leaving a mark of any kind. I've touched on how the Pacers have been productive in the clutch. That's something they were so bad at last year as they were trying to create an identity, form a culture, and even to my previous point about the togetherness, the joyfulness. I think this team, I think it's now fair to say, and a culture has been established and it continues to evolve. That's very positive because I think there was not much of a culture or it was continued to be disrupted over the last three or four years here with the Pacers. They tried to implement some stuff. Some things worked, some things didn't. I think led by Halliburton and Carlisle, you have a culture again, and that's very important. You had players at exit interviews confirm, yeah, we don't know what our identity is. We don't have a culture here. So props to them this year for figuring that out. Uh, and lastly, I think of note within a few bullet points here before I get to more stuff about the trade deadline is the second unit. So many of them have been positive contributors and, and done a lot of good things we've seen from this Pacers second unit thus far this season. We know what Mather can do and he can score in bunches, certainly. Now Jalen Smith's a part of that bunch. T.J. McConnell usually runs it as that point guard out there. How about O'Shea Brissett? And I called this one again. For the second straight year, he's it's seemingly like in the doghouse, not in the rotation for the first month, six weeks of the season. And guess who's now part of the regular rotation, doing the dirty things, knocking down some threes, and, and bringing it? Of course, that's O'Shea Brissett. He's part of that second unit that's been noteworthy. You do have Bataze Jackson... Terry Taylor without really a role, and James Johnson will help when he can. But mostly, he's there as the veteran and the leader, and I hope to talk with him here in 
the next week and kind of help share his story and his impact because so many individuals on the team that I've talked to single out his contributions. And to me, that's also noteworthy because, yes, he's you know 35, been in the league for 15 years, but at the same time, it's not easy to come to a new team, not know anyone or had played with anyone, not have a physical role on the team in terms of playing really very often, only on a need basis, and yet being able to have such a significant impact. How many times has a pacer player come out of the game due to fouls or frustration or getting a technical and or even during a timeout and you look over at the pacers bench and you see James Johnson with an arm around the guy having a spirited good conversation probably teaching him a few things explaining maybe how this works or how better to talk to an official or what they could have done in that situation from a strategic standpoint I love every single bit of that and I was very glad that the front office finally went out and got that true veteran for the end of the bench that can contribute, but more than anything is a spiritual leader, is a, a leader in many different ways. And James has, by all accounts, lived up to that billing thus far. So the number one thing I continue to be asked about is the upcoming trade deadline. And for good reason, because leading into the season, in the early parts of the season, we fully expected them to be entirely active, to move at least a couple of players. I remember being on another show and being asked, you know, what's the over-under on deals? Let's set it at three and a half. What would you say? And I actually don't remember what I said, but I'm guessing I took the under thinking three would be the right number there with Miles Turner, perhaps Buddy Heald, and then you'd throw in a couple other pieces likely in all of that, or maybe you work a side deal because a perfect example of that is Goga Bataze, out of the rotation, um, he's only seen the floor in, what, three of the last 18 games. Hasn't done much, and he really needs reasonable, consistent minutes. I've always said, Goga can be a good player if he gets 20 minutes per game. He's not going to help you with five minutes, and definitely not at 10, 12, 15 minutes per game. He needs more consistency, he needs to play through mistakes, and he needs to learn more. And right now, he's not even taking off his warm-up. I also should have mentioned this earlier, but with Isaiah Jackson not in the rotation, credit to him and the Pacers and his agent for him going to play a couple of games, at least a couple of games, with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants in his first game on Wednesday. 24 points, 12 rebounds, 11 of 19 shooting. That led the Mad Ants. And uh, that, that's a great use of the G League, of the Mad Ants, his familiarity with them. Tom Hankins, the head coach there. And uh, I would like to see someone like Goga and maybe Terry Taylor go back with them briefly as well. But all those guys I just listed certainly aren't in game shape, game rhythm, probably lacking a little bit of confidence. And that's not a knock on them. It's just he's, if you're not able to do your job, you're not able to get out there and you're out practicing because what did I mention earlier? Pacers haven't practiced this week. They had a game and have taken two days off. Now those other guys would be in there getting a sweat in and playing with the interns. But again, that does not replicate any of that. But uh, so credit Isaiah Jackson getting at least two games in with the Mad Ants. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets more. I thought last year he'd spend a lot, lot more time with the Mad Ants and some this year. This is his first stint. Um, and he had to agree to this assignment to be with the Mad Ants. But to go back to my original thing is the trade deadline here. First of all, you got to consider the current crop and you want to be careful not to disrupt the magic, disrupt the team chemistry, the connection that those players have built with one another since late September. Yet at the same time, you have to keep in mind and can't lose sight of the bigger goal, the bigger picture, and that's to become a contender. 
That's not to be on the treadmill of mediocrity. And so while the Pacers are winning right now, they are having success. At the same time, they're not a contending team. They still are a couple pieces away from being in that group, from having an MVP candidate, for example, which you almost seemingly need to win anymore. The last kind of team that won the NBA title and did it by committee is probably the Pistons in the early 2000s. I don't know if Halliburton can can become that guy. They also have something very special in Benedict Matherin, but presumably that'll take at least a couple more years before he becomes a consideration for the All-Star game, by the way. Uh, So to go back to the trade deadline, let's start with Miles Turner because that's the biggest question. And with Miles, first of all, he's got a new agent, hired a new one a couple months ago. He's with CAA, Austin Brown, who, by the way, went to DePaul here in Indiana, of note. Pacers have several different players represented by CAA. They're one of the powerhouses. No surprise there. Uh, Miles has also gone to several different agents, so he's experienced everything from being the only guy for an agent, for being a a small fish, to a a mega corporation like CAA is now. Uh, But he's he's getting attention. He's having a successful season. Yeah, he's not the leader in blocks, and that's fine. He's still doing his thing the other night in Philly. We didn't get to see him, unfortunately, against Joel Embiid, but he did have five blocks. I would have liked to see that matchup with Joel Embiid, and I'm guessing other executives would have as well. Because if I was one of them and considering, do you not only trade for Miles, but what are you willing to pay him in the future? I want to see him against some of the best, like Joel. And that's been a matchup historically he's really struggled with. But there's been, you know, random people just mentioning how, you know, Miles wants out or, you know, is this, you know, Miles is always in trade rumors. No, none of that is true. Miles has never wanted out. He's been frustrated and for good reason. They haven't reached the playoffs the last couple of years. They hired Nate Bjorken and that was an epic failure. Brought in Rick, got some stability, made some trades that worked out beautifully last year. And now they're all seeing the fruit of those deals benefit everyone. Um, I guess except for some of those players at the bottom of the, the roster who aren't getting playing time. But Miles is having fun. He, he's making an impact defensively. He's had several games where he's gone off offensively. I think three 30-point performances this year. He's been able to stay healthy. I should absolutely note that considering his last couple of years. And so I think if you're Miles, you're what, 26? Entering a contract year for the first time. So this is the first time since high school where he's able to pick where he plays, where he chose University of Texas. Well, then he was drafted and has been under the Pacers' control. This is a time when he could elect to go wherever he wants. But there's also got to be cap space and there's got to be mutual interest out there. What kind of money will he command? I would guess mid-20s, maybe up to 30. Uh, overall, on the average part of the deal, he's making about 18 right now. I think he'd like to get up to 25 as a baseline at least. Would you be willing, if you're the Pacers or another team, to pay up $35 million, $32 million per year for Miles? I don't know about that. I don't know if that's true for any center that's not Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic, the Hall of Fame-type players, MVP candidate-level players. One strategy is to have multiple centers. You pay them both reasonable contracts. I look at Boston as the example I frequently use. They had Robert Williams. They had Daniel Tice. You maybe could throw Al Horford in that mix as well, but you're paying them $10 million each for a couple of them rather than one guy $25 million, $20 million, $30 million. So that's something to consider. The Pacers also have to consider the futures of Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson in this. Those two are very young, one on a third-year deal, one in his second. 
So they're right now cheap. You're going to have to pay them eventually or move on from them. Uh, I think Miles does want to be here as long as winning continues and depending on what number both sides are comfortable with. So ultimately, that's what I think it'll come down to on top of unless another team makes an incredible offer. Now, going back to my time at the G League Showcase right before Christmas, all indications I kept getting from the Pacers and other teams talking to the Pacers was that they would stand their ground, maybe not make anything too significant. Right now, they like the way in which the team was playing, they the way in which they were connecting and having success with one another and growing together. So I don't think there's that necessarily urgency that they could go and carry on down the same path. But I also think they will, and it's imperative for them to constantly be talking about potential deals, getting in potential deals. Like I mentioned a couple years ago, how they just suddenly got in on the deal that was James Harden of Brooklyn from Houston. That two-team deal became four-team deal with the Pacers getting in, sending Victor Oladipo out, getting Karis LeVert back. Cleveland did an outstanding job of what they were able to do and ultimately what was it, get Jared Allen back? I can't believe Brooklyn gave him up for basically you know nothing there from Cleveland. Those are the things that I'd love to see the Pacers do. They could also take on more contracts and take on salary, a salary dump, pick up additional first-round pick. Some of the other things, I don't know if they're officially available, let's say, but yeah, a guy like OG Ananobi, a wing, a defensive-minded wing, absolutely makes sense. Something they have not had since Paul George. They had a couple stop gaps and Thad Young and Boyan Bigdanovich, et cetera, have not had that wing depth. And OG, for example, would be a great fit there. I mean, he'd be a great fit on every team, I think, right? So nothing necessarily to report there, but he... That's a perfect example of would you be willing to maybe move on from a, a draft pick and a, a current player? Those are the things you're trying to have those conversations about. So right now, it's scouts, it's executives calling around and saying, hey, who's available on your team? Or who on our team might you be interested in? Having that feel, then deciding what kind of money you'd be willing to pay or what what assets you're willing to part with, for example. Pacers have three first-round picks this year. Remember, theirs, Cleveland's, and Boston's. Now, the latter two should be at the back end of the first round, so you're talking picks you know, 26 and 28. Uh, and the Pacers' pick probably would be you know, in the 18 to 20 range right now if they continued on with that same pass. So no difference makers generally right there. Maybe you trade all three and try to get into the lottery and see what that gets you. Uh, maybe you package a couple of them and go get a player in the trade before the trade deadline or in the summer. Those are all the different things you're thinking about. However, the one caveat I will say that there needs to be some assertiveness on is with Miles. Because you either, I, I think, take on and give him more salary this season. It's called renegotiating and extending his deal. Uh, a possibility that is a big asset for both sides if they want to make it happen. You obviously have to agree on a number, both in terms of salary and on years. That's one uh, big way the Pacers could make it happen right now when they have you know 25 plus million dollars to at their disposal this year. So you could front load that contract, and that would be for preferred if you're the Pacers in this situation. A lot I could go deep in the weeds, and maybe we'll get there in a couple weeks. But just wanted to kind of set the table for what the Pacers should and are talking about. Uh, right now again can't lose sight of the bigger picture several more things here before I wrap it up I always try to make it about 30 minutes because I've said you can't really go anywhere in Indy across town 
for more than a 30-minute drive. So that's where I try to cater it unless I have an outstanding guest where I just do not want to cut it short. Well, on Thursday, to build up hype for the All-Star Game coming up in another six weeks in Salt Lake City, NBA is now releasing voting returns, fan voting, for the next three weeks on the Thursday. So it started today, January 5th. And as I figured, Tyrese Halburn's going to need the help of head coaches to become a first-time All-Star. Right now, just the fan voting, which accounts for 50% of the votes. The media has 25%, and the players have 25%. We've learned from the past, can't really play, take a lot of the players' votes seriously. You have guys that don't play, they get votes. On the media side, I don't like the fact that Indy and several other markets, at least as under my knowledge, do not have a representative voting. Uh, Pacers, no, no media member in this market has a vote, which I think it's important to have representation from every market is what I'm getting at so that it's kind of even. And including that, you want some national writers, you want some national personalities, and you want some international media as well. But right now, Tyrese Halliburton ranks eighth among Eastern Conference guards. Obviously, the top two guards getting the votes between media, fans, players, get the automatic qualification as a starter. The reserves then decided by the head coaches across the league. Right now, though, Tyrese behind Trey Young and LaMelo Ball, who is out with a lot of injuries, I can't imagine that he wouldn't get more votes ahead of those two and certainly in favor of him from the head coaches. Guys averaging almost 21 points per game, 10 assists, two steals per game. He's first in assists. He's third in steals across all NBA players. Has 20 double-doubles already, more than he's ever had, and he's done that in 37 games this season. He has the Pacers in the playoff picture. They are almost won as many games at the midway point as the gambling sites expected the Pacers to have all season based on their players, personnel, what they were talking about, etc. Um, but I, I do think that the head coaches will reward the Pacers and thus Tyrese Halliburton. In my mind, he's definitely playing like an all-star and deserves to be in that game. I think you could see Buddy Heald in three-point contest, and I do think you'll see Benedict Mather and Andrew Nimhart in that Rising Stars game on that Friday. So really exciting time for the young this young Pacers group and so many of those guys being newcomers, right? Halliburton and Heald you acquired. Matherin and Nimhart you drafted. Things have gone very well the last two years, I think, for the Pacers. Now it's just kind of continuing on in terms of personnel decisions and maximizing, to use Kevin Pritchard's word, the optionality that they not only have but have created for themselves. Uh, one guy still trying to f find his flow, get back in his to the, the beat of his own drum, I guess I'm trying to say, is Chris Duarte, first-round pick two years ago. And really that draft class, two guys that are trying to find themselves a little bit. Isaiah Jackson out of the rotation and Duarte out of – you know, his game shape and game rhythm after missing 21 games due to that bad left ankle sprain that kept him out for a while. He's back now, returned on December 18th. He scored in double figures, though, just once in like 10 games here. Uh, two scoreless games. He's missed his last 15 shots attempted over the last four games. He's still brushing up. I'm glad he avoided another scare as he rolled that left ankle again, but it was clearly nothing significant because he not only was not uh, of great concern on the injury report before the game in Philly, but he played. But he's only getting 15 minutes per game off the bench, and I think right now it's a numbers game, and other players like Nemhard and Neesmith are playing better, are producing more. Matherin, Heald, where does he find his fit? I think the Pacers maybe at the trade deadline, and certainly this upcoming summer, 
have to clarify the roles and simplify the roster, meaning they have a lot of guards and a lot of centers. Need some more help on the wing spot. and So a lot of duplicates, meaning Duarte, Matherin, Heald, out on the perimeter. You can always use shooting, but this team's better off with Duarte knocking down shots. I could see uh, other teams come calling, seeing about Duarte's interest, uh, or the Pacers' interest, I should say, in moving him. Certainly with Buddy Heald as well. But uh, like Chris Duarte, I like what he contributes on this team. But right now he feels like the odd man out. He feels like a guy that's still trying. He is a guy that's trying to get comfortable once again after missing a lot of time. The third rookie, Kendall Brown, he remains out with a stress reaction in his right tibia. That could be a scary injury if they didn't catch it so soon. He's out, walks without a limp, walking just fine. But he remains out and will probably be out at least for two or three more weeks would like to see him get completely healed and then return to the court. But remember, he's barely 19. He's very young in his career. Last thing you want to do is cause a further stress reaction or a stress fracture that negatively impacts the rest of his career. So you want to get that right. Daniel Tice, we haven't seen all season. Not in the preseason, not in training camp. He then had minor surgery out of the state to relieve some uh, swelling, some tension in that knee. It was very minor. Knocked it out and he returned home the next day Uh, well he's progressing he's now on the court he plans to travel with the team the rest of the season but from what I gather it's still going to be a couple of weeks at least before he plays again team again's not practicing so we still haven't seen what with him on the practice court and him being utilized there and a guy like that just needs to get shot up shots up and regain some strength and work in the weight room Things like that, because uh, he has not played basketball since before the preseason when he played with his home country, the Germany national team. His time with them, I totally understand it, but that's what caused this injury, the pains uh, in his knee and the swelling. But again, I can't blame him for that, and they finished third. They were really hoping to win it all, but it just didn't work out. Uh, two last things. I haven't received many complaints at all lately about Bally Sports Indiana, either Fans have moved on, or things are going smoothly. So other than the high price, I think that's a good thing, that there hasn't been any negative feedback uh, come my way. And again, I want to reiterate, so good to see not just the Valley announcers back on the road, but all announcers, TV and radio across the NBA. Much needed, very helpful for everyone, and the viewers, the paying viewers, deserve that. Last thing here, I was in Vegas for four days for the G League Showcase. My first time covering that event, and I'm very glad I did. It's one of those events where it's close to the fans. It very much reminds me of Orlando Summer League we used to go to annually a decade ago. That's because very closed off, and you could feel. You knew this was all about basketball. It was not about entertainment. It was not about signing autographs or selling tickets. It was about executives evaluating talent ahead of maybe signing guys and giving them opportunities. Starting today, January 5th, players can be signed to 10-day contracts. So you have scouts from every single team there filling out their roster and evaluations for different teams. Hey, if you need a center, here's who my top three prospects will be. If you need a true point guard, here are two guys I'd go after. That thing, for example. And then also you're evaluating your own. And there's also a lot of talks that go on. That's really where a lot of the trade talks begin, and that's another reason I wanted to be out there. I mean, you're walking past this. By the way, this all took place at Mandalay Bay, so I didn't even go outside for four days, which is another reason it's fantastic, whereas during Summer League, they're selling tickets. There's 20,000-plus fans there. I'm having to take an Uber every single day from the hotel, the casino there uh, at MGM, 
over to the campus at UNLV. That adds up, takes time. This is just a fantastic event that I enjoy covering. And for the Mad Ants here locally, uh, Terry Taylor tore it up. It was his first assignment uh, and completely dominated, was named to the all-showcase team as he should. Traveling Queen was good. Gabe York's a guy to keep an eye on just in terms of league-wide. He's still waiting for his real opportunity, a good call-up. Orlando Magic tried to sign him last year, and then he tested positive for COVID after nine days in a row of not being positive. So he missed out on that opportunity, missed out on that paycheck, and missed out on a lot more. So he was frustrated. Well, I felt bad for him again because he didn't really get a good shot and wasn't healthy at the G League Showcase. He was under the weather, had a stomach bug, lost some weight. He did play in the second game, but didn't look exactly like himself, came off the bench and was still kind of clearly regaining his strength. But that, for the players, is an excellent opportunity for them to showcase their talents, for them to play in front of everyone versus you know maybe here locally when games are played in Fort Wayne or Indy, there might be a couple scouts. Well, here there's hundreds of scouts. I saw scouts from overseas, by the way, sitting next to me at certain games, plus some media, and that's it. Um, so it was good there. I was able to connect with all the Pacers people. I was able to connect with different executive scouts across the league, former uh, coaches even uh, that are were with the Pacers, now involved in the G League level, uh, whether it was development, level josh henderson who's with memphis um mike who's who was a development guy with the pacers now he's working uh, he's been gone for a while but uh he's now working i think it's in the minnesota organization with the iowa wolves anyways it's it's another kind of nba convention if you will a lot of fun and i had several stories i produced there i have a couple more stories you're gonna like as well that come from it primarily you had the nba academy from latin america uh, the Latin Academy down there. The head coach was Ben Matherin's coach when he was like 16 and 17. So I sat down with him for about 15 minutes to talk about what, what the teenager Ben Matherin, what the young uh, Matherin was like oh several years ago. And more than anything, not much has changed. He's just doing it at a higher level and more confidently. But that was a lot of fun to talk with him about, Coach Walter. Anyways, I think that's enough for this long-winded podcast. Sorry if I was a little bit all over the place, but there were so many things I wanted to get to, so much ground to cover. Pacers 21 wins already. They continue to be a surprise. It's been a fun team to cover, even though the circumstances have certainly been a little bit challenging this season, um, to say the least. It has not been my most fun year at all to cover a team for other circumstances that's not related to the players. So they have been fantastic. Rick's excellent. Uh, so I appreciate them and will continue to do what I do best. And that's bring you coverage, try to tell their stories and give you insight that you don't get anywhere else. Again, a reminder to subscribe to Fieldhouse Files to read my work. Yes, some stories are free, but most of my stories are behind a paywall and, uh, that's daily coverage for you, direct to your inbox. You don't have to be on Twitter or social media. It goes right to your inbox or to the Substack app. So I would appreciate it if you consider becoming a paid subscriber at fieldhousefiles.com. Wishing you and yours a happy new year, and I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>